People, Deluded, I'm back again. Welcome back to another edition of the Deluded Podcast. Now, I was here on Tuesday, I think, so not much has happened in the world of football. But as you saw, there's the EFL Trophy or EFL Cup, Carling Cup, whatever you want to refer to it as. You know, a lot of teams were rotated. My team, Arsenal, won. You know, you saw Curtis Jones score for Liverpool. You saw young Liam Dillap score for Manchester City. And it is what it is in that regards, man. You know, there was a lot of action in, in, in midweek. You obviously had Spurs. They didn't play against Leighton Orient due to, I believe, coronavirus infections surrounding Leighton Orient. Um, and, and yeah, man, they won, they, they won their Europa League game. So it's been, quite the, it's been quite the week. And obviously, we've got Premier League action to come. So let's jump straight into it, man, really. The best would be just to obviously start with, I forgot the name of the trophy now, the Carling Cup people. Now, obviously, the big one, you saw Chelsea win 6-0 against Barnsley. Tammy hasn't had much game time. He managed to score. Kai Hervites, now they signed him for 80, 90 million in total. I'm sure they didn't buy him to score a hat-trick against Barnsley. But at the end of the day, he got his first three goals for Chelsea. You know, he got a hat-trick. He gets the match ball. That's good for any player. And, you know, that might be a bit of a good one for his confidence. He looked in that game. He looked physically up for it. Forget the opposition because Chelsea, you know, Chelsea's under-18s probably put a good match in against Barnsley. What I liked about it is he was getting kicked, he kept going. And it's almost like he went, yeah, you're going to kick me, I'm going to kick you. And, you know, I believe for a lot of foreign players when they come to this league, I do think they can hack it technically. I don't think it's that hard of a league. I just feel, you know, the prem- what the Premier League lacks in general quality, excluding the others, it makes up with tenacity, heart and passion. And, you know, you buy into that, you have success. That's It's, it's more just a culture shock than anything for, for foreign players, you know, because they can always hack it, in my opinion. Um so, yeah, that was a standout game. Obviously, Luton Town lost 3-0 to Manchester United. Brighton beat Preston two goals to nil. By the same scoreline, Burnley defeated Millwall. West Ham haven't had a good season. You know, they won 5-1 against Hull City. And, you know, I would say this, um, not, not to dig any clubs out, but the whole COVID testing, you know, you've got some clubs that are kind of withholding it so they can play these cup games so they can get peas. Then you've got teams like Leighton Orient who happily obliged by Spurs' request to, t- to test their players. And then obviously they're thrown out of the league, they're thrown out of the cup and Spurs advance. So obviously I want testing and whatnot, but there's got to be an incentive by the EFL and the Premier League and everyone to actually get clubs to keep testing. Because, listen, clubs are losing money morally. Some might just withhold results and whatnot. Um but enough of all enough of all of that people. Let me move my laptop because it's in my way. Newport Newport County defeated Watford three goals to one. Probably the shocker of of the week, to be fair with you. West Bromwich Albion lost to Brentford um as well. So yeah, West Brom haven't had a good start to the season in any competitions, people. Obviously, my team Arsenal, you know, we got away with it against Leicester, two goals to nil. A lot to improve on, but end of the day it was a rotated side. We got a clean sheet. We scored two goals. There was no injuries. We moved forward, to be fair with you. So it is what it is in relation to the EFL Cup. Um, a quick note on Spurs in the Europa. As you lot know, this would this is a this is a tough period for Spurs because the games are coming thick and fast. You know they've now played two games in the Europa League before the official rounds have started, and I believe they will play another one. Um, they have Newcastle on, on on the weekend. They obviously had the Europa on Thursday, and they're lucky they didn't on Tuesday have to have to um play in the Euro play in the um in the Carling Cup against Leighton Orient or it's a test in time already for, for Spurs and that squad to be fair with you. But against in the Europa League I can't lie, I don't even know the name of the team people. I can't even pronounce that. Skr- 
No, I'm not even going to try. S-H-K-E-N-D-I-J-A is who they played, people. I can't pronounce that. But Jose Mourinho's men, while they didn't fully convince and they're yet to play a full convincing game for me in the in all comps this season, they won three goals to one. You know, they did well against, against Southampton to get the onslaught of goals. But anyone who watches that game, Spurs fans will agree, it took them a while to get started. There was a period Southampton were all over them. Um, you know, and I'm sure big. I'm sure you all saw the big talking point of that game was actually Jose Mourinho speaking about the goals being five meters too small. I'm sure you've all seen the social media clips um, circulating of him actually trying to touch the post. He was alerted to it by his goalie, um, and you did see smaller looking goals. You did see the penalty spot kind of bubbled up and whatnot. It did look like this team was doing all they can to make sure Spurs didn't have an easy time. Um, but obviously it came to no avail. The one thing I will say, they scored a banger to make it 1-1 at one point. I don't know the players, but they scored a banger, a serious banger from outside the area. Um, obviously, Spurs went and done the business. You know, Lemayna opened the scoring. Son and Kane obviously helped to save the day. Um, with that, Spurs have obviously booked a Europa League playoff clash against Maccabi Haifa next week. Um, so, yeah, we'll have to see what happens in that regards. As Jose Mourinho said... We didn't play magnificently, but we did the job. In the first half, we were 41 minutes without scoring. Then we gave them space to play. In the second half, after changes, and I'd like to see players come in and make an impact. And the players who came on made a difference. And what manager doesn't? That's the whole point of substitutions. I'm sure you all saw the Super Cup. You know, it was a good clash between Seville and, and Munich. You know, Seville put up much of a fight. Obviously, they took the lead via the penalty spot 13 minutes in with a compost. You had um, Goretzka obviously equalised for, for Bayern Munich after a lovely assist by Lewandowski. And, he, you know, Lewandowski, you know, as a striker, you want to be known for goals. But I do think his general play is underrated when you compare him to the other players. You know, he can hit free kicks. He's not the fastest, but he can drop deep and get involved. He can, you know, he can hold the ball up and do that typical target man stuff. But he can play neat little one-twos and he's a good playmaker. You know, it was it was a brilliant assist by him. And what was it, a couple of games ago? Or what was it against Schalke? He's doing Rabona flicks. Lewandowski is a, is a legend without a doubt. Um, you know, he's underrated in my opinion. You know, he's he's rated but underrated because I don't. I just think people just focus too much on his goals and he's a gunman in front of goal, make no mistake, but he has a lot more about him. With obviously winning the Super Cup, you know, Alphonse Davies continues his great rise from Canada. Um, shout out to him, he's a lovely player, got a lot of time for him. You know, it's early days in relation to talk about Champions League and who's going to win it and the rest of it. But you've already got to put Bayern Munich as potential favourites already. You I mean, look at the squad depth, you know, they've lost Thiago, which is a blow. And I'm sure they're going to bring somebody in. But even if they don't, they've got fantastic options. With that, though, Thomas Muller has become the most decorated player in German history, people. And so, yeah, it's a good little bit of statistics for him. So, yeah, big up Bayern Munich for obviously defeating Seville commiserations to Seville I did think the keeper kind of I don't want to go as fast to say the keeper cost him but you know it was dodgy goalkeeping that led to Javi Martinez scoring you know Javi Martinez might not even be at Bayern Munich soon you know it's, there's been a lot of talk about him leaving so what a good parting gift that's been so far from him moving away from that though folks and it's time to get into Premier League action without a doubt now Man United didn't start the Premier League campaign well by any stretch of the imagination they face off against Brighton which is going to be a difficult task. I mean, you look at it, Brighton have won three of their last 
five home games against Manchester United. Last season, they lost 3-0. I'm sure you'll remember Greenwood scoring and a fantastic assist by Greenwood. I think Bruno scored. Martial Pogba might have been on the score sheet, but I remember watching that game. It was a good performance from, from United's attacking players. Manchester United have obviously won each of the last three meetings with Brighton. Of all top flight sides, only against Leicester are the Red Devils on a longer current winning run. Brighton have won two of their last three Premier League games. That's as many as they have in their previous 17. They're looking to pick up back-to-back wins for the first time since November 2019. Obviously, last week they put Newcastle to the sword. Brighton have won just one of their last 10 home games so far in 2020, losing five and drawing four. Guess who they picked up three points against, people? Yes, my club, Arsenal, it would be us. Um, The Seagulls have lost four of their last five games, however, at at their stadium, and they've shipped at least three goals in each defeat. So United might have a lot of problems. People might speak about left-back, centre-half and all these things, but you'd imagine Greenwood... Martial, Rashford, Pogba, Van der Beek, if he plays Bruno, you know, these players, you know, they're going to have to make the difference. You know, this team cannot keep clean sheets. They concede a lot of goals, so go and put them to the sword. We'll have to see what Man United do. Now, Everton have started the season well, you know, Calvert-Lewin's being a gunman in front of goal and doing his best to remind Southgate that I know the Euros has been delayed by a year, but I am going. <laughs> Apologies, people. Um, They face Crystal Palace, who... I know we just spoke about Man United come off the back of a fantastic three points at Old Trafford. It doesn't matter what period, it doesn't matter. It's always a good three points to win at Manchester United. My team, Arsenal, I can't tell you when we last took three points specifically in the league. You know, you're probably looking at 2006, which was however many years ago. You know, I was about to say the wrong thing. I'm not a maths man, so let me save myself on this podcast. But moving on, Palace are winless in each of their last 11 games against Everton. Um, So... They're going to need to fix up. And, you know, Zaha, who's been linked with Everton, is going to have a big part to play. And if I'm Palace players, that's a negative part of history. You don't want to be part of a Palace team that potentially couldn't ensure that Palace go 12 games without winning against Everton at Goodison Park. It's a crazy one. Um, Each of the last three games in the Premier League between the two sides at Selhurst Park have ended level, including back-to-back nil-nil draws most recently. Um... So we'll have to see, man. I mean, for the betters, that might be, you know, you put a little draw. Who knows, man? But the way Everton are playing, it's probably going to be a crazy little game. Everton have kept more Premier League clean sheets at Selhurst Park than any other venue. Following their 1-0 win at Spurs at the weekend, Everton are looking to win back-to-back Premier League games in London for the first time since 2015. And obviously, Palace should have every bent, should believe they can do this because they've kicked off a top flight campaign with two consecutive victories for the first time in their history. So let's see what they're on. Chelsea, I, I believe, play against West Brom. West Brom have lost more Premier League games against Chelsea than they have any other opponent in each of their last four in a row without scoring a single goal. So they've been battered and been toothless in front of Chelsea's goal. You know, you'd imagine. I don't know who is going to play, but you'd imagine Kai Hervitz is in contention to play in that game. You'd imagine hopefully he picks up where he left off in terms of his form in midweek and you want to see him get in, get going in the league. West Brom, you know, they, they need to improve defensively. They've conceded some very cheap goals in their last two games and they will not have a chance in the league if they do not fix up. And to reiterate that point, they've conceded more goals than any other Premier League side so far this season. Eight. And eight is the most they've ever shipped in the first two games of a league campaign. 
However, Chelsea aren't exactly good at keeping clean sheets themselves. Chelsea have kept just one clean sheet in pre- in 20 Premier League games under Frank Lampard when they won 2-0 in 2019 against Spurs. The last clean sheet outside of London came in May 2019, which was a 0-0 draw against Leicester. So again, if Chelsea want to improve and do more than just qualifying for top four, they need to improve defensively. How much they can improve defensively, I'm not too sure. You know, it looks like Rudiger's on his way out. I'm not too sure if they're going to bring a centre-half in. I don't know. I hear a lot of talk about midfield. Lampard played under Jose Mourinho's sides, which had great attacking talent, many powerhouses, creative players, etc. Had talented players in, in the attacking sense. But crucially... You looked at that defence from the goalie, whether it was Peter Cech, whether it was Carvalho and Terry, Ashley Cole and whoever is right back, um, Paulo Ferreira or whatever, there was a competent back five that was central to any league plans. Now, I look at that Chelsea team, I see Reese James is 30, Chilwell's just come, you know, you've got Zuma who's all right, but, you know, it doesn't really, you know, are they of the level defensively to improve? I think there's some players, as I've just said, you can move forward with, but I think they're missing a trick not bringing in a centre-half. Especially if Rudiger completes what a lot of people expect to be a, a departure from the club in some capacity, whether that's a loan or a permanent move, people will have to see. Burnley and Southampton play against each other. You know, Burnley are unbeaten in their last seven Premier League meetings with Southampton. Southampton have won only one of their 11 top flight away games against Burnley. Burnley have played more Premier League home games against Southampton without suffering defeat than any other side they faced in the competition. Burnley have lost their last two Premier League games. Um, <clears throat> have lost their two Premier League games. Um, the Clarets had won just one of their previous 15 in the competition prior to this. Southampton haven't begun a Premier League season with three consecutive defeats since their, since their first season back in the division in 2012-13. So that's a negative one. Now, Leeds United finally got three points last week. We'll be playing against Sheffield, which is going to be a fantastic one for the neutrals. Sheffield have won four of their last five games against Leeds. This will be the first top flight meeting between the sides since 1994. Leeds won their last visit to Bramall Lane in 2018. 31 goals have been scored over the last eight top flight meetings between Sheffield United and Leeds. Leeds have got 19, Sheffield have got 12. So it's promised to probably produce a lot of goals. And based on the last two Leeds games, you know, Leeds don't have a great defence, but they show that they can score a couple goals. And that's not necessarily a healthy formula, but, you know, for the betting ones, in the same way, you know, you might predict a draw or, or, or a lack of goals in the Everton Palace game. This might be a high scoring game for you guys. This will be the first Yorkshire derby in the Premier League since May 2001. And I'm sure neither team wants to lose that. And it's a shame the fans can't be in this, man, really and truly. It's sad, man. It's really sad. Um, Leeds, obviously, in their first two Premier League games, have scored 13 goals. Sorry, have seen 14 goals scored. 7-4 and 7 against. That's more than any other team in the Premier League over these two games so far. Which isn't necessarily healthy, but it shows that there's a lot that can be done, people. You know, moving away from that, we kind of spoke about Spurs earlier and Spurs will be playing against Newcastle. They've won five of their last six meetings with Newcastle United, although the only exception was last season when Joe Linton obviously ensured Newcastle won one goal to nil. Against no side of Newcastle won more Premier League away games than their 10 against Tottenham. So this could be a bit of a bogey team, you know, Um 
Of the Premier League games to have been played on at least 50 occasions, only Aston Villa versus Liverpool has seen a higher percentage of away wins than Newcastle versus Tottenham. You know, Spurs haven't lost consecutive home games since January 2019, which was against Wolves and United. While they've not lost their first two home games of a campaign since 2008-2009, Newcastle have won four of their last seven Premier League games in London. So we'll see what that one throws up. Now, Pep Guardiola, you know, he has his eyes firmly set on the Premier League trophy. They play against Leicester, where Leicester have earned some serious respect over the last few years in the league. Man United have won six. Man City, sorry, have won six of their last seven Premier League meetings against Leicester, losing the losing the other two one on Boxing Day in 2018-19. Leicester have lost just have lost each of their last four Premier League trips to Man City people, which is crazy. Man City have never lost their opening home match in any of their last 25 top flight campaigns, drawing nine and winning 16. Leicester have never lost their opening three Premier League matches in a single top flight campaign before. Sorry, Newcastle, Leicester have never won their opening top flight um, three games in a, in a season campaign in the top level before. I apologise for that. Man City are unbeaten in their last 11 home games, you know, drawing one, winning 10, scoring at least twice in each game. You know, if you was to look at their last seven, they've won by an aggregate scoreline of 26 to 1, which is quite nervy for anybody playing against City. You know, you've got West Ham versus Wolves. You know, West Ham need to sign some players. Wolves is fast becoming Portugal FC. You know, Nuno might as well become the automatic Portugal gaffer if this continues. You know, signing Semedos for a fantastic signing, in my opinion. Um, West Ham have lost each of their last four Premier League meetings with Wolves without scoring a single goal. Wolves have won both of their Premier League visits to the London Stadium since being promoted back in 2018. Wolves have lost their last Premier League game in London on the final day of 2019-20, which was against Chelsea. West Ham have lost each of their opening three league games in two of the last three seasons. West Ham haven't kept a clean sheet in any of their last 10 Premier League home games. And this is probably why Moyes is crying out for action in relation to a centre-half. And the latest Arsenal centre-half they've been linked with is not Holding anymore, not Chambers, but actually Socrates. So is there any truth in that? I don't know. Fulham play against Villa and Fulham need to get their act together. It's going to be a short stay in the top division. Fulham have won six of their last eight meetings with Villa in all competitions. Um, obviously, after winning six, after being unbeaten in six games in the Premier League um, against Fulham, Aston Villa are winless in their last four clashes in the top flight. So there's something there. Only West Ham have lost more games against newly promoted opposition than Aston Villa. Villa have earned just one point from their last 30 available in Premier League matches in London. None of Fulham's last 21 home league games have finished level, with the Cottagers winning just five of their last 16 in relation to this, and 45 goals have been shipped against them in the process. Last but not least, obviously following Liverpool's fantastic victory in the EFL Trophy where Curtis Jones played quite well, um, they obviously, we obviously play against Liverpool people, and it's gonna it's gonna be a tough one. I don't know if I've mentioned it, but shout out to Liverpool for their seven one seven two zip victory. Curtis Jones standout player for me, and obviously shout out to Liam Dilap for coming off the bench. The seventeen year old bad, you know, stuff of dreams for Pep Guardiola's men 
in in their two one victory. And on the topic of City, Pep has been quite frequent, and he's only got thirteen fit players, so there could be opportunities for young players going forward, and they have a bit of a crisis. Um, so yeah, but moving back to specifically the Premier League action, we've obviously beaten with Liverpool beating Lincoln seven goals to two. That set up the prospect of two clashes away at Anfield for Arsenal next week. You know, on Monday, we've got them in the league and I'm shook of Thiago. I mean, he's going to bully it. And this is a big test of Arsenal's credentials because this is our first top six clash. You know, apologies, people, why I blow my nose. If we don't win, then, you know, you can't draw too many conclusions. But if we win, you can't draw too many conclusions. What I want to see is a competent performance. If Liverpool win, they win. But I want to see, you know... It was a thing where Mo Salah and Mane and their quality shined. It's not defenders lapsing in concentration, not following runners and things like that. We've lost our, we've beat Liverpool in all comps in the last two games in the league and in the community shield. So I'm sure Klopp's men, you know, want, want Arsenal to stop thinking they're better than us if, if they did ever think that, you know. Well, Liverpool have won their last four home league games against Arsenal. They've not won more consecutively against the Gunners at Anfield since a run of seven between 1981 and 88. Arsenal's 2-1 victory over Liverpool back in July was their first win over the Reds in 10 Premier League games. We're looking to put back-to-back -back wins in the league against them for the first time since September 2012. Um, since our 1-0 victory over Leicester in 2017, Arsenal are winless in their last six games in the Premier League against the reigning champions. However, Arsenal have won each of their last three against Liverpool with the Reds as reigning champions. So last time, anytime they've won the league, we've beat them. So hopefully that's a good omen for us and another one for the betters. Arsenal win, you know, Palace and Everton draw, high scoring game in the Leeds game, people. We can put a little acker together. So we'll see what that one is saying, people. Moving away from that and speaking about general news, the Premier League is still awaiting a detailed proposal from the Football League relating to a requested 250 million bailout. The BBC was told earlier this month the EFL expected to be given details by the Premier League about financial assistance it might offer for clubs to get through the coronavirus pandemic by the end of September. This has become obviously even more urgent given the government's decision to end crowd pilots and block the fans returning to stadiums from the start of next month. While the Premier League will continue advancing solidarity payments earlier than normal, apparently BBC have understand, understood while accepting the need for speed and to be flexible in their approach, league sources say they are not completely clear what the EFL is asking for beyond the headline sum. Um, apparently BBC has also been told the Premier League needs detailed analysis of what the money is needed for, whom and precisely why. Without this, the organisation is reluctant to hand over a cheque at a time when clubs are feeling huge financial pressures uh, and obviously it went on to speak about the fans. You know, sadly, due to COVID, we all knew a lot of sports would face cuts or being disbanded. And, and England's football team, as futsal team, apologies, has, has been a victim of that. The, the Football Association's decision to axe EFL, to axe England's futsal trophy. What am I talking about? Sorry, I'm trying to read two things at once. The Football Association's decision to act England's futsal teams is an attack on the sport, says a member of the senior side. As you lot know, the national governing body said funding for elite teams would end because of unavoidable budget cuts, cuts associated with COVID-19. It also said 
money for grassroots futsal would be significantly reduced from this season onwards, which is obviously sad, man. You know, it doesn't matter what sport you support. To see people have to miss out as a result of this is always upsetting. Um, Romeo Lukaku is having a great time playing for Inter Milan and whatever it said when it's all said and done he's had a good career he's shined for Belgium he's played for two big clubs in Chelsea and United you know he's he's played for Anderlecht in his homeland and he's playing for one of the biggest clubs in, in, in Italy in Inter Milan and he is he's actually acknowledged that racism exists all over Europe and says Italy is a madness but he also said it's the best player best place he's played in you know best country he's played in he said I've been confronted by it many times in my life. You build a type of shell. I take my anger out on the field. It still exists all over Europe and it's absurd. Even in Italy, it happened to me once. I reacted, but it never happened again. I don't want to confuse these three or three 300 who whistle with thousands of civil citizens. I'm confident that the absurdity of the racism is co-signed to the past. How much, and then he obviously spoke about how much he's enjoying the country. People, he said, it's the best country I've ever been. The Italians welcomed me with open arms, and I'm grateful to everyone. And Italy's a lovely country with some lovely people and lovely cuisine. Sadly, you know, a, a lot of idiots ruin it and ruin the image of, of, of Italian society because of how they act over football. Um, it's an end of an era at. at at Barcelona, you know, MSN is finally no more. There was two lasting band members after Neymar leaving. You know, I know Messi's thrown his toys out the pram and looked like he was going to leave um, Barcelona this year. But Luis Suarez has left and has joined Atletico Madrid for six, five to six million euros, people. It's crazy, you know. And I know a lot of people talk about Suarez being finished and, you know, he's 33. But at the same time, you know, he scored 21 goals in 36 games for Barcelona last season. That could help Atletico. It seems like Atletico are building a squad, you know. You get him, apparently they're in talks with Cavani as is Real Madrid too. And there's also uh, Luis, um, Lucas Torreira. So it looks like they're trying to unite the South American energy. And Simeone wants some of his fe his fellow, what's the right word? Geographical men, because, you know, the Uruguayans and Argentinians, they see football kind of similar. It's sad to see, even though I have nothing to do with Barcelona, it's sad to see Suarez leave, man. He's become part of the furniture. He's been there for six seasons in 283 games, 198 goals, 13 trophies, and is the club's third highest all-time top goal scorer behind Cesar and Lionel Messi. If there was ever two players you wouldn't mind being behind in a list, it's them two. There's no way around it. Luis Suarez is a Premier League legend. He's a Barcelona legend. 13 trophies. Best one out of all of them is probably the Premier League. Man said Premier League. The Champions League. It's sad. And Suarez had a lot to say. He spoke. He was given a sort of farewell press conference and it was quite emotional. He said, My teammates were always fantastic and everyone knows about my sacrifice here. I'm proud of leaving that way. Playing here was a dream. And I never imagined I could reach these numbers because at Barcelona, you must always perform at the top and you'll never know how long you will stay. There were moments in those years, my best memories are the first Liga trophy, the Champions League, the goals and playing with these amazing players I knew before from PlayStation. I must enjoy these moments. He then went on to say, I already accepted leaving in that way. Now I must change my mind and focus on a new challenge. It was a crazy month. The last one, many wrong things were published, which made me angry. But everyone knows about my relationship with Messi. When I arrived here, I knew all about him. And after six years, we have an amazing relationship. I leave very proud. I already expected Cumin's call because I was warned about that. I could accept this even though I had a contract. 
we must accept that decision. So, yeah, everything comes to an end. And to be fair, you know, he's done his thing at Ajax. He's done his thing previously at Groningen. He's gone to Liverpool and I don't think he won a, a major trophy. He might have won the League Cup with Kenny Dalglish. I could be wrong. But, he, you know, he, he left his hallmark in the Premier League. I wouldn't go as far to say he's a Premier League legend, but he left his mark. And then he's definitely a La Liga, a Barcelona, a Champions League, a football legend because of what he's given to the game based at Barcelona in those six years. Luis Suarez is a baller. Hopefully he doesn't bite anybody and he joins Atletico. At 33, he's still got a lot to offer, you know. People might say he's finished and they might be right, but Aubameyang and Vardy aren't the oldest. It's all about how you look after yourself. And I think Suarez will be all right, man, personally, but we'll have to see. Moving away from that, though, folks, and just focusing lastly on the champion. A man said champions. I'm all over the place. It's early in the morning. The transfer business. Apparently, Sheffield United have a breakthrough in the Balogun talks. Sheffield United believe they can secure a deal for Balogun after Arsenal indicated they are ready to sell the highly rated forward, according to Yorkshire Live. Apparently, it went on to say that St that Blades' chief executive, Stephen Bettis, has talked to his Arsenal counterparts, including Edu Gaspar. Talks are understood to have been constructive, with Sheffield United increasingly hopeful after the London Giants indicated that they were ready to sell. Sheffield United have obviously lost past five. They lost their past five Premier League games, right? Um, so we'll have to see. According to Romano, Fabrizio Romano, Atletico Madrid are convinced that Partey is going to stay and will not negotiate with Arsenal. We've also heard a lot of talk about Torreira going there. The latest is that Arsenal's have rejected Atletico's bid. Hopefully some middle ground can be got in relation to you give us Partey, we'll give you Torreira and we keep it moving sort of thing. Now, Seville versus Bayern Munich was of interest to me because Jules Conde didn't play. I've been following him since Bordeaux. He's gone from strength to strength with Seville, you know, with Diego Carlos partnering him and the rest of the defensive options. He's been linked with Man City. Um, and I think that would be a great signing. You know, him and Ake improves their defence. It adds depth. You get a fit Laporte, it could be that. You know, we don't know what's in the water in France. And I think Jules shows that, you know, they'd have Jules, we'd have Saliba, Opomacano is about. There's bare sort of man like that. So we'll have to see what happens in that regard. Apparently, Real Madrid forward Borja Moralo is in is in talks with Roma, and apparently he has agreed to move there. However, the clubs still need to, two clubs still need to reach an agreement. Um, Mendy has obviously been confirmed as Chelsea's new goalkeeper. Big up Mendy! You know he signed from Rennes. He's had a fantastic journey. He's been from gone from unemployed to playing potentially Champions League football and playing for Chelsea. This means apparently, according to I'm not going to name the newspaper, but it's a free worded newspaper. Kepa Aspilaregaga, I can't say his name, I tried people, I'm going to say Kepa, apparently he's set to leave on loan, where he goes on loan I'm not too sure and you'd have to imagine, you know, Kepa, Chelsea have signed a lot of flops in the Premier League but you'd have to imagine he is undoubtedly the biggest flop, he signed for 80 million, wasn't he given a 5-6 year deal and he's, you know, I'd love to work out his wages and his errors and how much he actually cost Chelsea a game, you know, there's no way around it, he has been a flop, it would probably make sense for him to go out on loan and I think it speaks volumes that, you know, Lampard sees Willie Caballero or Demand there as, as second choice, third choice options if anything happens to Mendy. Then Kepa, it shows you how much his stock's fallen. He was highly rated. I rated him highly based on his Spanish thing. Um, 
at one point, I thought he was a better keeper than Leno. And I mean, it's a good thing I don't talk about goalies often, people, because thankfully for me, Leno has shown that that was BS. Now, apparently, Manchester United will make one final attempt of a 90 million bid for Jadon Sanjo next week. We'll have to see what happens there. Ruben Loftus-Cheek has been linked with Aston Villa, West Ham and Leeds United. And, you know, some have said loan, some have said permanent. That's an interesting one for him to, to, to go through. As you lot know, Arsenal have been linked with Jorginho. I don't mind the signing of Jorginho. It's someone that can compete with Xhaka. It's someone that could play with Xhaka if there's high possession-based football. If it's not a game for mad bouts of possession, one has to wonder what happens. And off the ball, Xhaka and, and, and Jorginho as a midfield option or a midfield pairing doesn't fill me with any confidence. Um, it's not it's not a tenacious midfield partnership. It's not an aggressive midfield partnership. It's not screaming goals or assists or dynamism. So while I wouldn't mind Jorginho if he came to the club, we need to be looking at Partey and our in my opinion. Um, apparently Everton are lining up a move for Manchester United's goalkeeper Romeo as pressure grows on Jordan Pickford, who they should get rid of. Ma apparently PSG are prepared to pull out of negotiations to sign Dele Alli on a season-long loan. Speaking of loan bids, England and Chelsea winger Callum Hudson-Odoi is pushing for a loan move away from Stamford Bridge. Philip Coutinho to Arsenal on loan has resurfaced and the people are saying that could happen before the end of the window. Barcelona had to make one final effort to sign Latoro Martinez and apparently RB Leipzig are closing in signing a centre-half which could obviously mean Opomacano being allowed to leave people. Um, West Brom have been linked with former Arsenal and Man City striker Adebayor, who's 36. Wesley Fofana apparently be, could be joining um, Leicester City on loan, but St Etienne, similar to Saliba deal, they want him back. They, I mean, if if Leicester do want to buy him back, buy him permanently, they'd have to loan him back. Um, so we'll have to see what happens. Bayern Munich have said their midfielder Mikel Cousins will not leave on loan despite interest from Marseille and Leeds in the 21-year-old. I don't know if they see him as taking the spot Thiago vacated. Um, we'll, have, we'll have to see. Um, on that note, though, I don't think I've got anything more to speak about. So we've spoken about the cup competitions. We've spoken about the EFL. It's always a pleasure speaking, speaking to you lot people. But in relation to this episode of the Deluded Podcast... I haven't got much to speak about, man. It's time for me to go get a coffee. It's early in the morning. I'm still half asleep. I can't lie, people. If you haven't had enough of my voice and my opinions, please make sure you check out my YouTube content. If this is your first time listening to me, make sure you're, you're subscribed across all platforms from Spotify to Apple to Google to YouTube. Please take care. Have a great day. And you know me, man, after the Premier League action over the weekend and Monday's game against Liverpool, I'll be back here with another edition of the Deluded Podcast. And once again, in the meantime, there's a crap load of YouTube videos consistently being uploaded by myself. So there's always something for someone if you know where to look. On that note, though, I'm going to keep it moving. It's been a fantastic podcast speaking to you lot. Hopefully you lot feel equally the same way listening. And I hope I provided some sort of value to your Friday. People, God bless DG.